0: Praise the Lord. Give the Lord one more good hand this morning. He is worthy of our praise. I'll well, give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you're looking good after all that turkey you ate. Hey, great to have you. We're going to have communion at the end of our service today. But this song that was written, Rock of Ages, written in 1763 by Reverend Augustus Toplady. I'll call him Reverend Gus. But he was a guy, he was in England. He was near uh, Cheddar Gorge. This is a literal picture. You can kind of see this little sign. That's the place where he hid. And that's a mar- mark on the road. And it's this crevice right here. And, and, and the trees are all grown up now. It's been several hundred years. But here's how the story goes. He was walking or riding a horse, whatever he's doing. There was no paved road that was there, but he was by himself. He was alone in the wilderness. And a storm was coming up. How many know if a bad storm's coming up today, your iPhone sending you alerts, you know, you've got weather radios sending you alerts, your TV, but he didn't have any of that, but he had the good sense of people that lived on the land, and he realized that this terrible storm was coming, and it could literally bring destruction. How many know a black cloud can produce a tornado, it can produce torrential rains, Uh, it can produce torrential winds, and when you see it, he knew he had a problem. Now, I don't know if he was walking or if he was on his horse when he began to see this cloud developing. But likely, when you see a cloud in the distance, you know it's not going to rain yet, but it's coming my way. And how many know when you know a storm is coming, what you do is you look for a place to hide. And he literally hid in what's called the cleft of the rock. Now, a cleft right here, it's a split or a fissure in a rock. And what it's produced by is some of the earth movements, earthquake, whatever the case may be. Or maybe God just put it there. Isn't that amazing? An evolutionist has to explain every detail. But isn't it just possible that God just put some things there and God just made them the way that they are? Uh, Certainly, he could have created it through a progression, but he could have just created it instantaneously just like it is. But anyway, this storm is coming and he finds this place to hide. Now, by definition, again, the word cleft, it means a fissure. It's a separation in the rock. It's some place where you could hide. And I want you to imagine, let's imagine if the storm was coming from this away, and right over here he was hiding, and if there was like a, an overhang that he got under, and the storm passed him by. Well, it's this that I want to talk about this morning, because this cleft in the rock, rock of ages, cleft for me, and notice what he said. He's a preacher man. And he said, let me hide myself in thee. So just as he hid in this rock in the middle of a storm, I will declare to you this morning that the Bible teaches that God is a hiding place in the storms of life, that God is not some distant creator. He's not some uninvolved God. He's not a God who wound up the earth like an old-timey clock and just let it go, but God is involved in the affairs of life, and God is a safe place to hide when trouble comes, when storms come. Whether they're expected or whether they just come up out of the blue, God is a safe place to hide. Our text for the day, Isaiah 26, is where we'll begin. Isaiah 26, uh, verse 3, and, I, and I'll kind of combine three translations to, to uh, uh, bring clarity to the, the meaning. Psalm 26, you will keep him in perfect peace. whose what? Whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. So God will keep those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. The New Living Translation says who, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Now, that doesn't mean that God is a mantra and you just repeat His word in some, you know, some melodic fashion, but rather that the Lord is the center of your life. He's not on the extremities. He's not a 911 call in trouble, but you're aware of God in the morning. You deliberately try to keep your mind focused in understanding God throughout the day. Before you go to bed at night, you thank God for the day. And God somehow is the center of our world. But then verse 4 says, trust in the Lord forever. And it says, for the Lord God is an... An everlasting rock. So in these short verses, it combines the fact that you can have peace when storm comes, as you trust in God, as your thoughts are fixed upon Him and His Word, because He is like the huge rock. He is the rock from which Reverend Gus hid in, but He's a rock and a refuge for which you and I can hide in, in the storms of this life. So I've entitled the message, My Rock and Refuge, and that's, I literally this morning want to, uh, I want to be very personal with you. This has been a year of great trauma for my wife and I. I'll share some things with you, how we have found God to be a greater rock and refuge. In the latter part of my message, I will try to be very practical about how you can know God in this same way. So let's begin, Isaiah 46, and let me begin with a personal testimony, something that happened about a month ago now. Uh, It was... You know, it was I guess it was a Thursday, Friday, somewhere in there, and it was about lunchtime. It was a Friday, and it was about lunchtime, about 1 o'clock, and I was waiting on we to go to lunch. Well, I got in the car, and I began to feel just kind of weak in the knees, and my arms were just kind of draggy, you know, and I just thought, something's not right. And I got uh, on mall drive, and when we I got to the powerhouse, I just knew something wasn't right, but I mean, no a man doesn't want to tell anybody something's wrong with him? So I just kind of sucked it up, and we went to the little Texas turnaround up here on State Line, and when we got over the turnaround, I thought, boy, if there was an access road by that old hotel, I would get right off, but it wasn't. So the further I went, uh, I just said, you know, I, I'm going to just get back to the church. So when he came and made the little turnaround up here, and as soon as we made the turn, the last thing I remember is I saw that a car wasn't coming, and then when I wake up, my wife is shaking me and saying, you're all right, or you're all right, and I had passed out. And uh, my, uh, the truck kind of ran off the road there. And thank God, God protected us because I just as easily had could have gotten on the interstate and how me know that could have been bad for lots of people. Well, anyway, I spent the next couple of days in the emergency room at St. Michael's. I got EEGs, EKGs, gallons of blood, MRIs, PET scans. And when it was all over, two internists told me, they said, you are extremely healthy. And they didn't say for a man your age they said you are extremely healthy and we've narrowed down everything in your anatomy and your metabolics and all that kind of thing and they narrowed the problem was is is a doctor had increased my blood pressure medicine a couple days beforehand and uh, lo and behold that's what it was so I got off the silly stuff and I'm fine now now, now that's a great praise the Lord but after I got home the next day took a couple days off I want to tell you there was some anxiety kind of in not just the back of my mind But right here. It's like the doctor said, we're 99% sure it's the medicine. But, oh, God, how about that 1%? You don't think that way, do you? I mean, you've never thought that it was a rib out of place, but you thought you were having a heart attack. Come on now. How many honest people in the room? Let me see your hand here. A room filled with liars. You were having a (laughs) headache. You knew it had to be a brain aneurysm. Okay. I mean, it just kind of anxiety. Kind of been a struggle that I you know, from my grandmother, kind of trickle through the family heritage, but I can remember waking up the very next morning, and uh, I went into the kitchen at the little bar, the counter, and I do as I do, I did as I do every day, I opened my Bible, and I began to read. Isaiah 46 is where I read, and this verse, it's as if it leaped off the page. Perhaps you've had the experience when you read the Bible and it's not just facts and information. But sometimes it's like God is speaking to me. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Well, I had that. This it, it, it was a God moment. Well, here's how the passage went. Isaiah 46.3. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob. These were the children of Israel. They were the chosen people of the Old Testament. Now, how many know we in the New Testament, the church, we've been adopted in the family of God? We are his sons and daughters. So it could easily be argued that it's a higher level of relationship there. But listen to verse 4 Even to your old, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, you descendants of Jacob, you whom I have upheld since your birth and carried since you were born. As if God was speaking to me from the day you were born, uh, August tw- uh, April 24th, 1957. Write that down. Put in a reminder on your iPhone, okay? April 24th, 1957, Methodist Hospital, Memphis, Tennessee. Since that day, I have been taking care of you. I had been on every plane ride, every car ride, every day at work, every day at school. Somehow God was speaking to me. I've been in your life. But notice this next phrase, verse 4. Even to your old age and gray hairs. I understood a little bit of that. Don't say anything. I am He. I'm He who sustains you. So it's like I was almost having an an encounter with God. And I didn't see this with my eyes, but my spirit was so awakened to this that God said, I've taken care of you from the day of your birth until today. But then God said, I'm going to take care of you from today into the future. And I'm telling you, something changed in me. It was like God said, I've got a little place in this rock here if you want to slip in and hide. I made you, I will carry you, I'll sustain you, and I will rescue you. Now, I want to tell you, it was in a literal way, God comforted a troubled soul. God's foreknowledge, Psalm 139, this ability for God to see the future from the present. The psalmist said of God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Now, there's a great question in the world about abortion. Is it right? Is it wrong? I suggest to you from the Bible, this unequivocally talks about God is the creator. He's the one that creates life in the womb. Come on. And what God has created, man doesn't have a right to take that life. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Look at verse 16. You saw me before I was born. You saw me before I was even born Every day of my life was recorded in your book. And I want to tell you, friends, that's not just for me, the preacher. That's every person in this room. That's every believing person in this room. God was the one that knew you before you took one breath of air and God marked out a path. Now, I am not intelligent enough to explain to you how there can be this sense of predestination and ordering, but at the same time, there is free will. But I can tell you this. The Eastern mind, I'm told... Uh, the Easterners uh, were very comfortable with the truth intention. We as Westerners, you know, we want A equals B, we want, and B equals C, we want A equals C. We want everything to be linear in, in our thought process. But they were comfortable with these two truths kind of bumping together our free choice and free will, but at the same time, God's guiding hand upon our lives. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, I'm telling you, in the storm of MRIs, CAT scans, EEGs, blood tests, God built a shelter for me. It's like he threw out a, 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 a raft. He threw out a preserver, a life preserver to a guy that was drowning. And, and, and I laid hold of it. But the thing about it, he didn't have to throw it very far because I was already walking with God. Um, you see, God speaks to us through his word, the Bible, it is a reason that Gideons give out millions of these a year. It is a reason that you find these things in, in uh, uh, wherever you go, pretty much. You go to the hotel. They're, most of the time, they're in the drawer. It's a reason it's been the most popular book year after year in terms of numbers that are sold and printed and distributed. It is a reason for that. And the reason, my friends, is because Hebrews 4.12 says, it is the Word of God speaking to us is alive and active. Let me say it again. The Word of God is alive and active. Philip's translation says the Word that God speaks is alive and it's active in our lives. Um, God can speak to us through the Scripture. Now, I read the Bible every day, but I don't have an encounter with a particular verse like I did with this verse. I read the Bible this morning. I read in Isaiah or Jeremiah. I read this morning in Matthew. It's words fed my soul. I was not reading for a sermon. I was reading for me. I was reading for my relationship with God. I wasn't reading for facts and information and theology. I was just reading to know how my father thinks and how he looks at things. Well, this Bible that's alive and acting, God can also speak to you in a dream. Not all dreams are from God, but God speaks to people in dreams. God can speak to you through a prophecy. Uh, God can speak to you just through the words of another person, whether it's face-to-face, on the phone, or even on Facebook. But when God speaks, I'm telling you, friend, something happens on the inside. It's like God comes to the front and anxiety goes to the back. It may not disappear or dissipate, but it takes on a different perspective that which was going to destroy you and overwhelm you. Come on, God's perfect peace can come in your life because you trust in Him. So I want to talk to you this morning about this crisis. Now, how many know crises come from many directions? You can have a crisis because of a literal spiritual attack. The Bible says for the believer there is an enemy. He is someone out to get you. The devil is real. He is not some uh, mystical figure before we became smart and figured things out. You know, if you look at America, we're not too smart, are we? We collect more money than we've ever collected in the history of the nation, but we still are going to run a $800, $900 uh, billion deficit next year. We have violence on the streets Kids play the knockout game, come on, where they just see someone of a different race, a different color, an elderly person, and they just want to run by them and see if they can knock them out with one blow. Something's wrong in America. Our divorce rate, our abortion rate, the violence, something wrong when you turn your TV on and men are sleeping with men and and women are sleeping with men and it's normal. Something's wrong in America today. We're not that smart any longer. Something's wrong in our schools when we teach children that they came from a primal ooze, but they don't know where the primal ooze came from. Come on. Something's wrong when they say this marvelous DNA that defines every individual on the planet different. Every retinal scan is different. Something unique it, it, it is around us. When there's such an order in the world, listen, chaos is not, uh, chaos doesn't produce an order like this. Come on, some haphazard force didn't cause the stars, uh, uh, didn't cause the earth and the planets to go around the sun in the exact rotation. Come on, tilts just a little bit, we burn up. Tilts the other way and we freeze. God, listen, is a part of our world. And He's real, He's alive. His Word is real and alive. Satan's out there trying to sow confusion. Some crises in your life are the result of a spiritual attack. I'm fully convinced that much of what my wife has suffered with breast cancer this past year is because of a spiritual attack that's come against her. Sometimes uh, crises come in your life because you're in the boat with a Jonah. Remember Jonah's story? Jonah's the one that's running from God, and he just got on a boat with some fellows, and they didn't do anything wrong, but, but they're rocking and rolling on that, on that sea, thinking they're going to die, simply because they were with Jonah. Sometimes a crisis comes because God is disciplining us. Hear me on this one. We have this, I think it's a, it's a false view of, of life and reality, that if we just believe God and, and love God, we're never going to have any problems in life. Can I tell you, friends, I wish it were true. But you cannot find that happening in any person in the pages of the Bible that had any kind of walk with God. Stuff happens. Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, cheer. I've, I've, I've overcome the world. So sometimes trouble will come to us just because we live in the world. We can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense to us. And I'm less concerned to why we're having the crisis, but the fact that we find God in the middle of the crisis. See, one thing I know, though, for certain, when a crisis comes, Satan wants to take advantage of it. Satan wants to get in your head. He wants to drain your faith. It's like you just went to get your oil changed and and, and the guy got under the car and he took a wrench and he took that little bolt out and all the oil spilled out. That's exactly what Satan wants to do with you in a storm of life. He didn't want you to get in the crevice of the rock and be safe in in the storm. He wants your faith to drain out from you. He wants to make you believe that God's not real or this wouldn't have happened. He wants to make you believe that God's not a good God. I want to tell you, friends... If you want to know where all the, the heartache and crisis and, and pain and death and rape and, and, and all the craziness in life come from, if you look in the first chapter, a couple chapters of Genesis, you don't have any of that going on in the world. It's a perfect place. If you look in the end of the book of Revelation, there's no more dying, crying, sadness or pain, sickness. It's all gone. But in these pages prior to that, sin is in the world. Come on. Evil is in the world. And it's because of this that we experience these kind of crises in life. Well, it's out there, but the question remains, where is God? How can I find God? Let me speak a little bit about His nature. You see, a crisis can be an opportunity to know God as a rock and a refuge. Two metaphors for your relationship with God in in the storm. And I want to speak about both of them. Psalm 61, first our rock. David the psalmist said, Hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. Which simply means is he's saying, God help. God help. We need you to move here. Um, from the end of the earth, I'll cry to you. Notice, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, let's go back and talk about that just a moment. Uh, scholars believe, verse 2, from the end of the earth, I'll cry to you. The end of the earth, he could have been very, very far from home and all alone. He could have been, as David often was, near death. People were trying to kill him. Uh, It was near starvation. They were running. Bottom line, it was some crisis, and he felt hopeless. When I read the pages of the Bible, though I am looking for fact and theology and coherence, I'm also looking for application in my life. So when I read this passage of Scripture, I want to say I want my feelings of hopelessness Feeling helpless and out of control to be able to resonate and find direction in the Bible. Now, notice what he said. When my heart is overwhelmed, that is, when I cannot handle life, when my problems are bigger than me. Now, I don't care if it's a problem that your doctor informed you of. I don't care if it's your, your ATM and you banged on it and it said there's no money there and there should be money there. I, I don't care if it's a divorce. Whatever it is, friends. A child has disappeared. You don't know where they are. I'm telling you, when you cannot handle life, here's what David said to do. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now think about that phrase. A rock is a figurative term that simply means a place of safety. Uh, Some translators call it a place where I'm safe. Lead me to the place where you protect me. Remember the cleft of the rock for Reverend Gus. Lead me to somewhere where the storm won't destroy me. Lead me somewhere where the winds won't knock limbs on top of me. Lead me somewhere where I won't be caught away and drown Lead me to a safe place. But I want you to see something that I just learned yesterday that just leapt in my heart. He said, I need you to lead me to that rock that's higher than I. In other words, I can't get there on my own. I don't know how to get to that place. But Lord, I need you literally to take me and reach out for me. I need you to help me be walking along the road and I need you to help me see this place and I need you to feel like you're leading me to that place of safety. I need you, Lord, to take me in the cancer diagnosis or in this anxiety or the trip to the ER. I need you, Lord, to take me somewhere now because I don't know how to get there. Because guess what? If God takes you there, then the devil's not going to be able to get there. If God puts you there, the enemy's not going to be able to get there. And I'm telling you, when I'm going through those tests, I think it was the uh, the MRI of my brain. Anybody ever been in that little tube, you know, and it just goes for about 15 minutes or so? Now, look, I'm telling you, you, if you're a claustrophobic, you got a problem. Well, I'm in that little thing, and I do the same thing I do when I'm in the dentist's office. I close my eyes, and I pray in the Spirit. And uh, I just got inside that thing, and listen, I didn't didn't try to imagine myself on a sunny beach somewhere. Come on. I didn't try to imagine myself uh, in a duck slough with cypress trees and mallards falling in and no game wardens and no limits. I didn't imagine anything like that. I just said, God, go in this place with me. And I just began as best I knew how to just pray in the Spirit. And I thank God when it was all over and I went through that thing, the radiologist said, you're doing great. But I'm telling you, there's a secret place you can go into. There is a rock that is higher, that is stronger, that has ability to keep you safe and to protect you. That's why we're called Church on The the Rock. Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. But not only is God rot, but God is refuge. Notice again the Psalmist forty six. God is our refuge. Now what does that mean? As a duck hunter, I happen to know that somebody that was not a duck hunter created refuges for ducks. What that means is there are several thousands of acres that has flooded with water, there's grass everywhere, there's bushes, and every duck in America is given a free brochure of how to get there. (laughs) And you may be hunting right next door or nearby, and they laugh at you when they fly over you because they know that the brochure says they're going to be safe in the refuge. And they know that there's game wardens that if you dare shoot a a duck in that refuge, that game warden is coming after you and you'll be in jail. So there is a refuge, not just for the duck, but for us. The psalmist says, God is our refuge. God is the cleft in the rock and our strength. The Message Bible says, God is a safe place to hide. You've heard it said by people who say, well, you know, it's weak people that need God. (laughs) Absolutely, and I'm one. I just happen to have realized the fact that one day I'm not going to be able to prolong my life with one more breath. I just happen to realize that the air I breathe is not produced by some canister. Come on. But the air I breathe is coming to me. Come on. I just happen to believe that the one who feeds me. Come on. Is not, uh, is not Bryce's or Dillard's. Or not Dillard's, but Applebee's or anywhere else. The one that clothes me is not Dillard's or Kmart. You understand what I'm talking about? God is behind that. Because I realize it's in Him I Live and move and have my being. And because of that, listen, that's what humility is. It's a recognition that everything I have and everything I'll do, come on, is from the good hand of God. So God is a refuge. He's a safe place to provide a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will... Though the earth gives way, now we're talking about earthquakes, monumental earthquakes, mountains moved in the heart of the sea, but God is there ready to help when we need Him. So no matter what happens, those trusting in God are safe. I've been in big earthquakes, California, Alaska. I'm talking about rocking and rolling in Alaska, seven-somethings. I'm talking about being in a hangar by myself in the middle of the night on a watch when every piece of furniture is moving being turned upside down and the whole hangar is moving. But the mountains were still there the next morning. I was by the Bering Sea and there was a little cove in Adak, Alaska down the Aleutian chain. All the rocks were there. So can you imagine something so devastating how fear would want to knock on your door and the Bible says you can just slip into the refuge and nobody can shoot you. I'm telling you, friend, that's real. Now, this is not just something that some preacher's talking to you about. Not even the guy that wrote the song, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. I've watched my wife go in this refuge this year. We've been married 30 years, but it was last Thanksgiving when her doctor called her before Thanksgiving that we want to do a biopsy from your first mammogram. So you don't have to tell me that you need a refuge When the doctor sits in the office and without much preparation for you, he just said, you have cancer. And what does that mean? Well, mastectomies, uh, radiation, blah, blah, chemo, and all those kind of things. Now, look, it's been hard on Dad. I'll never forget the day when I had to tell my daughter, Bethany, who's in UCA, who's in college, knowing that Mom's going to go in. And I said, honey, Mom has cancer. And she said, no, no, no. Is she going to die? I hope you never have to live through that. But I'm here today to tell you she's doing real good today. Real good. Clean pet scans. Hard years. But I'm telling you how she survived. She didn't sleep very well in the hard parts of the treatment, chemo and other times. It's 4 in the morning, 4.30. I'm somebody that sleeps good at night and the more the merrier for me. But 4 o'clock in the morning, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, I reach over and there's nobody there. And for a time or two, I got out of the bed, and I wanted to see where she was. And she's in the living room. She's curled up in a blanket. But she's got her iPad there, and it's singing worship music. Or she's got her Bible open, and she's reading her Bible. And then she's writing in her blog, come on, that we agreed that, listen, if the devil tries to throw this on us and hurt us, we're going to do everything we can to hurt your kingdom. You're not going to stop us. You're not going to put us down. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Come on, i got a little mafia in my, in my background, okay? <laughs> you hurt me... I'm going to hurt you. So we're going to put more money in missions. She's already touched over 22,000 people in a blog that she writes. But I'm telling you, she didn't just come to church to sing a couple songs. She was finding the refuge, come on, through good worship music, at 4 o'clock in the morning. Listen, God is a refuge and ever-present help in time of trouble. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. And it's not just for Christians. It's all for we that are son and daughters of God. Now, let me, let me kind of shift gears just a second. How do you experience God in a crisis? Because, like it or not, a crisis will come. Jesus said, In this world, you will have yeah, tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. What happens if it comes? Mine came pretty suddenly with that passing out deal. But, but what happens if you know it's coming down the road? What happens if bankruptcy is going to be imminent in your business if you don't turn it around in six months and, and you can't provide the health care? And if you can't provide the health care, how are you going to get the workers? And you're watching the deadline tick and you're hoping something's going to change. So whether it comes like that or whether it's a long time in coming, how do you find this cleft in the rock? Do you just accidentally? Is it just luck? That, you, that uh, Brother Gus walked by this rock overhang, or is there a refuge available to walk in? I want to give you three things this morning. Number one, and most importantly, it starts with genuine conversion. Now, I want you to hear me on this. Conversion is when God becomes our father and we become his child. It is a misnomer that everybody on the planet is a child of God. Not true. Adam and Eve sold us out to Satan. He became the God, little g, of this world. We were somehow in His kingdom. Christ bought us back. The word redemption. He bought us out of the slave market of sin. We become when we are saved, when we're born again. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I don't care how much money you give. I don't care how many good things you do. I don't care how many tears you cried. Jesus Christ said, unless you're born again, you see God's kingdom. This is a spiritual rebirth. It is not a New Year's revolution, resolution. It is to be born a second time. And it is at this place of true conversion that you are adopted in God's family. You become, listen, your sins are forgiven in a moment. You are adopted as a child of God. Now, I thought if you were to ask me as an 18-year-old, I was, I was converted at 19. If you were to ask me at 18, uh, uh, and when I'm living life my way, and everything is going good, and mom made me go to church, maybe, and uh, uh, was I going to heaven? Well, sure, every good person goes to heaven, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm pretty good. Everybody goes to heaven, I have a little problem, I I get God off the shelf, I say, please help me when it's over, I may or may not say thanks, I put him back up there, but I'm living for myself. Conversion happens, the word repentance, listen now, turning from your old life. Jesus said it, Paul said it, Peter said it, John the Baptist said it, basically what it means is, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. My sin is taking me in the wrong direction, my sin is ultimately leading me to my own death, I'm going to turn and follow Christ. I'm going to bow my knee before God at some point in life, and I'm going to say, God, would you forgive my sins? But hear this, I surrender my life to follow you. Many people have shaken the preacher's hand or come to the altar, but they didn't turn, and the evidence is found in the turning. If your life didn't change after you shook the preacher's hand, you probably only got some cooties. But when you turn, you say, how do you know that? It happened to me August fifteenth, 1976. You say, how do you know? I was there. A Gideon gave me a New Testament. There was an emptiness in my heart. I was not happy, though I had a new car. I had lots of dates and lots of friends and college scholarship. And things were going well, but something was missing in my life. It was a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. I'm telling you, it, 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 I know what it's like to try to fill it with alcohol or smoke and pot or whatever. Problem is, you fill that five-gallon bucket up uh, on, on Friday night. The problem is, by the time you get up in the morning, it's all drained out again. It's a hole in that bucket. And you try to fill it up again on Saturday, but then you've got to fill it up on Sunday, and you may wake up in the morning and start filling it up again. I'm telling you, friends, only God can plug the hole that's in your heart. It is a God-shaped void that God can plug. That is the starting place, to know God as Father. Now, you can know about God. How many know and not know Him? I had a picture on my wall for years, of a picture of George Bush. Uh, and, and, And looking at it, you'd think we were best buddies. But I want to tell you what, somebody invited me to something in Little Rock. They pushed me in line. I saw him, Secret Service guys, and I said, Could I get a picture for the prayer wall of the church? And he said, Come on over here. And George and I just talked to each other. But I don't know anything about George. I read his book. You see, I know about him but I don't know him. I know about President Obama, but I don't know him. Let's keep going here. The first thing is genuine conversion. We're talking about how to find this refuge, but here's the second one that is huge. A daily walk with God. A daily walk with God builds relationship, and you can avoid a frantic 911 prayer in a crisis. Luke 6, Jesus He went off to a mountain to pray. And notice this. He spent the night praying to God. Well, why did he do that? Because he's about to make the biggest decision of his life. He's about to pick the 12 disciples that are going to walk with him. And he's even going to pick Judas. And he probably didn't want to. The next morning, Jesus called his followers. And he chose 12 of them whom he named apostles. Let me tell you this. You know someone in life by spending time with them. You know someone in life, a fiancé. You know someone in life, a best friend when you fish with them, when you hunt with them. Something happens in your relationship and you're not just arm's length, you're not just distant, but you are friends. Can I tell you, God wants to know you in the same way. That's why it's so important that you read your Bible every day. That's why we've got Bible are in the back of the chair. They're on your, they're in your app for your phone. But take some time every day reading the Bible. See, when I got up the day after I got home and they told me I was healthy and I still had anxiety, it's the fact that the pattern and habit of my life was opening the pages of the Bible. And when I open the pages of the Bible, you just know about God. So when the storm's coming and you see it's there, you just start looking for the rock because you know it's there. But you're not panicking, but you just move right into it. I cannot tell you how many times I caught Linnell in the bathtub or on the couch or wherever she was with that worship music playing in her car, because for her that became the door to get a little bit closer to God. Your daily walk with God is crucial. Now let me tell you the third thing: if you want to know God in the cleft of the rock, you see, when when the doctor told us that Linnell had cancer, we had already prayed that morning. So the next time we prayed, it wasn't like we didn't know God. We just kept talking to the one we've been talking to all along. See, Christianity is a relationship, not just some God thoughts that I had to my mind. And let me give you a third one. And this is a big one. You've got to step up your spiritual life when the crisis comes. Now hear me on this last one. When a crisis comes your way, you've got to step it up spiritually. Let me illustrate Ezra chapter 8, an Old Testament passage. Ezra is a teaching priest in the Old Testament. It's the time when Israel has been in exile, but now God's bringing them back to Jerusalem. And as he brings them back to Jerusalem, he's got to cross this desert wild area. The king is letting them go, and the king even offered to provide bodyguards. But Ezra said, no, we're not going to do that. God will take care of us. But look what he did before he crossed this dangerous area. He said, by the Ahava Canal, I gave orders for all of us to do what? Fast and humble ourselves before God. We prayed that God would give us a safe journey as we traveled. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that God would take care of us. And God did. He heard our prayer. Now, I'm telling you, when you get in a crisis, sometimes a chapter a day and five minutes of prayer is not enough. A chapter a day and five minutes of prayer may get you along day to day, but when the crisis comes, it's not going to be enough. I'm telling you, you've got to bump it up a notch. And Ezra Day, he would fast and pray. Something changed in our prayer life as a family. Something changed when her diagnosis came. You're just pressing into God. Um, has any, uh, you know when you, when you let the air out of a tire Let's say a tire has a leak And you don't have a patch kit And you're out in the country But you do have those little things That blow it up a little bit So you blow it up a little bit And you go about a mile uh, But but it's still draining itself Now let me ask an honest question Anybody ever let the air out of anybody's tires Let me see your hand here <laughs> Now come on, come on, be honest the Sheriff's here, look around please Sheriff at these hands here Okay, all right, all right, okay, all right It was a long time ago. I I, I think there is a, uh, what's the word there? A statute of limitations on on tire letting out, uh, letting air out of tires. Unless you did it with the sheriff's truck today, and probably you would be fingerprinted. But anyway, uh, it just drains out. And that's what happens in your spiritual life. But when a crisis comes up, it's like you can't go the mile. You can maybe only go 100 yards. You've got to step up your spiritual life. You've got to step up your intensity. A chapter a day is not enough. You may want to spend an hour in the Word of God. Come on. You may want to not just pray at your house. You may want to just get into the church building here. We'll give you a code to get in. You can come in at 5 o'clock and just spend time praying around the altar of God. You've got to press in spiritually. Part of that, listen, part of that is maybe connecting with other Christian people. Maybe you don't have Christian friends. Maybe you're just kind of looking and wanting some. You've got to find some. You've got to get close to somebody. I had this happen just recently to me. Uh, This little month ago, the doctors tell me I'm fine, but I had an odd thing happen uh, just about a week or so ago. Uh, I'm uh, I'm at church, and it's interesting how the triggers that set off anxiety issues. I'm at church and all of a sudden I start having these feelings. I start sweating a little bit and I'm thinking, oh God, it's happening again. And I get in my car and, and I felt good enough to drive, but, but I didn't get on the interstate to go home to Redwater. I went up to State Line and I took a right down State Line thinking if I'm going to have to stop, it'd be easy to stop there. And then I went on 67. And I got home, took a little nap and I was fine. And I couldn't understand it. Because the doctors had just told me I was totally healthy. Why in the world now, listen, and I I have a friend who's a Christian first, a counselor psychologist second, and he said, oh, that's the way anxiety works. He said, anxiety is kind of like stress builds up. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. Now listen, he said, it's like grief. If you've ever heard of people that that someone they love died six months ago, but you're getting ready to call them on the phone or write out a Christmas card to them. It's the way grief works. It's still down there. And first of all, his, his understanding of how the mind works, that this anxiety was not coming from my physical body, but it was coming from my head, triggered by some things. That helped me. But here's what he told me on top of that. He said, Pastor, he said, you need to give yourself the privilege to just pray 10 minutes in the Spirit. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, there was a study that was done in Canada about people who prayed in the Spirit, who prayed in tongues. He said, you are that typical, I think it's the right brain person, very responsible, type A, very linear. He said, that other side of your brain. They did this study, and when people would pray in the Spirit and they monitored the brain, literally that other side of the brain would light up or whatever, you know, whatever the dynamics were going on. But I want to tell you what, that was good advice. And that helped me to be able to press in when I was getting to the other side. So whether it's you and God in the Bible, whether it's a worship service in church, or whether it's you talking to a godly Christian friend, you need to press in just a little bit more. And I promise you, you'll find the refuge, which is Christ, and Christ alone, the rock of our salvation. Come on, give him a big hand. I'm going to close with a scripture, and then we're going to have communion together. So give us just a couple more minutes, and I think you'll, you'll really be ministered to. I want to ask this question as I close. Can anything good come from a crisis? Now, if you're like me, I pray I never have a crisis, pray I never have a problem, but can anything good come from one? Listen to the Apostle Paul. Paul said, We think you ought to know about the trouble we went through. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we'd never live through it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to a place, whether it was financial, job-related, a marriage, a family, come on, on an airplane that was going down, a ship that was sinking, something that was so bad I didn't think I could make it? Notice what he said. As it turned out, it was the best thing that ever happened. You think he was on drugs? No. It was the best thing that could have ever happened because instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get us out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Instead of depending on myself, I depended on God. And it's not a bad idea since it's God who raises the dead. Hey, let me say this. Nobody likes a crisis or wants it. But when it comes, it offers an opportunity to get closer to God. And that's a good thing. If you're like me, what I want in my life is I strive for security and certainty. Come on. I want my retirement to be secure. I want my health to be secure. My supplements to be right. My house to be alarmed and blah, 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 blah. I want security and certainty. But what God wants, He wants to be my security. He wants to be my certainty. And sometimes when we get so connected to this world, God has to say, no, you're going to find that I'm the one that you can depend on. And that's a good thing. Hallelujah. Come on, give Him another good hand as the ushers come to service communion. They're going to begin to service. We'll do it quickly. I encourage you to everybody take one and participate as we remember the Lord Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. I know they're serving you. We'll wait. Put that last stanza up one more time. I want you to think about this you to imagine this cup in your hand, the bread. It reminds us that Jesus Christ is hope beyond the grave. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we too have that promise. But listen to what Pastor Gus said. He was laying in this cleft of the rock, and he probably wondered if he was going to come out of it alive. But here's what he said. While I draw this fleeting breath, my eyes shall close in death. You know that's going to happen to you one day. I, I, I kind of thought it was going to happen to me about a month ago. I've got to be honest with you. One day you're going to close your eyes in death. Now, just I thank God that my reports came out okay. But what if the doctor would have came back in the room and said there's a brain aneurysm and we can't operate on it? What if you're on the airplane? I don't care how good the pilot is or I don't care how good the ground crew was. Sometimes they have problems. What if you're on a ship at sea and the waves are too great and you're on the Titanic and you hit an iceberg? Sooner or later... I don't care how much health food you eat, how many supplements you drop down. At some point, you're not going to make it. When I close my eyes in death and I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne. What does that mean? That means when you die, you don't cease to exist. You're going to go... God one day on judgment day one day every person is going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for our life that's why Jesus is going to be there as our lawyer so to speak and he's going to say I paid the price for all these good people I need some communion guys if someone can serve me when I soar to worlds unknown and see thee on thy judgment throne notice what it says the rock of ages will be a cleft for me let me hide thank you Let me hide. You can share with your wifey. Let me hide myself in thee. And that's what I wanted communion to be a reminder of this morning, that Jesus offers us hope no matter what we face. He offers us hope beyond the grave. Here's the words of the Apostle Paul. I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he'd given thanks, Jesus broke it, and said take and eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me. In other words I want you to think about me when you do this. I want you to think about the fact that it only takes one sin to make a sinner and it only takes one sin to keep you out of heaven and somebody has to pay the penalty for that just like when you take out a loan you got to pay it back or they're going to take the car or the house. If this, this reminds us of that Jesus' body broken and shed for us took the penalty of our sin. So, Lord, today we ask you to bless this bread. And would you, by revelation, make known to us in a deeper way what you did for us so we might more fully and completely live for you. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a miracle in the life of every person that's here, anyone that's sick in their bodies, anyone that's tormented on their soul. I pray for perfect peace and healing in Jesus' name. God bless the bread. Let's eat together. in the same manner... Jesus took the cup after supper, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. That is the promise I make to people. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what's it say? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is not just a historical figure. He's coming back one day as King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's going to be a glorious day. This cup reminds me, it's the color of blood, of the blood of Christ shed for my sins. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It reminds me that Christ paid the penalty. I could not do enough good works to go to heaven. I couldn't give enough money. I couldn't cry enough tears. It's Christ's blood that offers forgiveness. Scripture says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the Bible also tells us that we need to forgive other people the way God's forgiven us. Jesus said, if you don't forgive men their sins, I won't forgive you. So with cup in hand today, let's pray. First of all, Lord, we are grateful beyond measure that we can acknowledge our sins to you and you forgive us. No matter how vile we've been or whatever we've done or whoever we've hurt, we can come to God and have forgiveness. But similarly, Lord, today I want to forgive people that have hurt me. The person that divorced me, the person that was violent towards me, the person that lied and stole my money, the person that broke our friendship, whatever it was, the person that failed to give me the love I desperately needed. Today I forgive them and I release them. I turn justice over to God. Bless this cup today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet and we'll close with one last stanza. And it has been a delight to have you with us today.